Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy, Literacy Podcast. We are here today with a book talk. We are going to talk about the book, Literacy Foundations for English Learners by Elsa Cardenas Hagen. And this book really prepares educators to enter the classroom with a full understanding, and we mean full understanding, of the language and literacy (laughs) development of English learners. Melissa, I know this book is meaty and it's a lot, but it's meant to be a lot. So I want to make sure we say that up front. Really important work, but it is meant to be like (laughs) collegiate coursework. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Potentially. That's a a really good point because we don't want anyone, you know, says, oh, I have English learners. Let me go get this book. And you are more than welcome to, obviously, but we just don't want you to get the false impression that, you know, you can pick this up, read it in a weekend and off to go. Like this, this is one that would take time. Like you want to set aside some really good time to really, you know, read a chapter, think about it, study it. For sure. Give you know. And um, the best part is at the end of every chapter, there are questions that you can yeah. think about and answer. So it does lend itself to that like bit by bit approach. And that's how I read it. And it was really helpful and not overwhelming because, you know, I took it a little bit at a time. Yeah. And just for anyone that does pick up the book and might feel like, like I did, which was like, oh my gosh, this is, <laughs> this is a lot of information. It, it, like you said, Lori, it is meant to be right. This is actually, um, you know, kind of geared towards college courses and like meant to be used in, it says an essential text for courses on literacy foundations and by literacy and an ideal in-service professional development resource. So it is a really, really solid book in that sense that it, it has so much information, but be ready for this to not be a quick read, but a, an in-depth one. Yeah. Melissa, yeah. do you want to give us a breakdown of the book? Yeah. And I was going to say, one of the things I also love about this book is, you, yes, it's about English learners and how they learn to read. But even if you didn't know how anyone learns to read, this book would tell you, right? Like, it, And that's where, you know, it gives an introduction at the beginning of, literacy skills for English learners. And then it just tells about language and literacy development, like from the beginning, like (laughs) what happens. That that is so easy to digest. That that part is so easy to digest. Really helpful. It's really helpful overview. And yeah, I, I feel like the mantra that I kept repeating in my head the whole time I was reading this book, especially that part that you're talking about that intro was what's good for English learners is good for all students, you know? (laughs) Right. That's why I kept thinking, Oh, yeah, this resonates. I This is yeah. just literacy stuff. Right. I was going to say for like, I mean, like 90% of the book can be used for, you know, unless you're talking about something very specific, like cognates, right? Right. Like that <laughs> where you're talking about a different language, uh, sure. but so much of this is like, in fact, the rest of the book is each chapter is one of the components of literacy and English learners. So you'll get a chapter on phonological awareness, phonics, reading fluency vocabulary, reading comprehension, spelling, and writing. And each of those is so in-depth on, like you said, general information for 
everyone, what is it? What do you need? And then you also do get tied in there some very specifics for English learners. But again, if you don't even have a background in any of those things that we just said, this book will give that to you. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. And today I think it's really awesome that we are going to talk about chapter seven, which is vocabulary instruction. And we drilled down to this one because we get some questions about vocabulary and we felt like it was a topic that we haven't really talked about as much as we may have liked to talk about. So um, we thought we'd dig into chapter seven about vocabulary instruction to, on today's yeah. book talk. And because this book is so meaty, we can't talk about it. We all. Can't talk about it. I don't even know we're going to get that we're going to get through chapter seven. Nope, we'll just we'll just touch on chapter seven just to give you a taste. For sure. So I will start by sharing the objectives for chapter seven, which. It's so fun. It makes me feel like we're back in the classroom. Right. Melissa, See, our objectives for today. <laughs> it is a co- it's a college course. It's a college wrapped course. in a book. <laughs> our objectives for chapter seven, uh, integrated approach to vocabulary learning embeds language development during content rich learning. Makes me think of our Sonia uh, Cabell. Cabell? Cabell. Scrabble. Cabble. Yeah, Cabell. Thank you. And I say Scrabble first every time. <laughs> Understand how word learning strategies enable English learners to become independent learners. Explore how content-rich vocabulary instruction builds a strong foundation for text comprehension. And learn and apply evidence-based vocabulary strategies. That sounds like stuff we'd be interested in as literacy people, regardless of who we're teaching. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you mm-hmm. want to start by talking about, I love that term that she uses, which is content enriched vocabulary. Do you want to start by talking about what that is? Ooh, yes. So teaching content specific vocabulary words that are used mostly in, she says, domain related contexts, such as ELA, math, science, social studies. They're words that kiddos should know to be able to talk, discuss, read and understand content related texts. How was that? That was a great summary. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I, like you said, it it really does resonate with some of the other podcasts we've had about why knowledge building is so important. And it's for this reason, right? If, if you're pulling out all of those vocabulary words that, you know, might pertain to the whole unit that you're studying and they'll hear them again and they'll see them in writing and they'll be able to use them in discussion and use them in their own writing. You know, those are the words that we're really looking for here is, you know, what are those key important words for this for this knowledge building unit or module that you have that you're teaching? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there is a little vignette on page 118. So if you have mm-hmm. this book, you could flip to page 118. The vignette is really helpful in showing what this might look like in the classroom. And, you know, they use uh, vocabulary words such as um, transform, transformation. um, And it's all related to the topic at hand. So these are not words that are just randomly pulled. They are words that are embedded in that content discussion, which in this vignette is really, I think, kind of based based in social studies. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the other words they pulled out were immigrants, migrants, transform, culture, and the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to see what they were studying. <laughs> like going back, like, what was the what was the topic of this? Um, they were studying uh, movement, movement in our world. In our world, and which highlights 
the impact of food on history. Gotcha. Now it's making sense. Um, really interesting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the thing though that, you know, pulling out these vocabulary words and teaching them and and having kids work with them and and practice saying them and using them, it makes me think about and I loved how um this chapter shared this, but it makes me think about what does it really mean to know a word? Yeah. Do you want to share a little bit about that with us? Like, what does it mean to know a word? I do. I love <laughs> that because it feels like, you know, I remember taking quiz quizzes in middle school, right? It's just like, if you can tell me the definition of this word, then you know the, you know what this word means, but like, not really. <laughs> not really so I thought true. that was really interesting. So there's a lot of like nuance to it, right? That if you know, like, you have to know how to use the word in a sentence, right? Like you have to know how, you know, sometimes you hear people like use a word and you're like, that's not quite how you are supposed to use that word, right? Like, that's what we mean. Like, it's not, not used that way, but you can use it in different ways too, right? So that you can take transform and make it into transformation because you understand how that word works. Um, that you also know, like synonyms of that word, and you know, other words that are related to that word. So it's not just knowing what that one definition is, but it's knowing like knowing it deeply so you can use it in the right way in different ways and really make sense of it. Yeah. I loved that it talked about it as a subcomponent of oral language. I thought that was really important. If we can use it orally, then we can like, like it's part of like, that's part of language development, which I think we all know. And using it orally is the first step before taking it any further. So I thought that was really important as well yeah. to note. For sure. Yeah. So when we think about vocabulary and the development of vocabulary, let's think about where it begins and maybe some similarities and differences between home and school. You want to start us off with that? Well, I think you answered where it begins, which is at home, right? Like, oh, obviously, yes. <laughs> obviously, right? And we talk about in it all the, the time. In the womb. <laughs> is there a study on that? We should look. I don't. Yeah. I doubt it. But you, but you're, you're even if it's not in the womb, right? It's it's right Around after, right? Like they're they're hearing words as soon as they're born, and or maybe before. I don't know. I'll have to <laughs> we have to do that research, but. Um, you know, so early, you know, Elliot is three and is just picking up words constantly from every from, you know, some of it is from reading. Sure. You know, some of it is from books we read. Some of it is from just us talking about things. Some of it, he comes home from school and I'm like, where did you learn that word? Like, (laughs) where did that come from? Like, oh, here's one. He started calling like a tractor trailer, like the big trucks, you know, he started calling them a lorry. Have you heard that before? Which is funny because it's your name, which is... No, I, about, I haven't heard that because I don't know about trucks. It's a British... It's like a British term for the trucks. I have no idea where he got it from. I don't know if you they watched... Thomas? Uh, maybe. That- we don't We don't watch that at home, but maybe he watched it at school. I don't know, but it's like, they're so funny. How, I'm like, where did you get that from? <laughs> you know? So anyway, what I'm trying to say is like... Yeah, you, like you pick up vocabulary from so many different sources, but, um, you know, um, it's mostly oral. It's obviously all oral when they're that young. Yeah. What I like to think about is, and I, I think any parent out there listening might be able to relate to this, is <laughs> how your child tends to, over time, 
say the words that you say often. They, oh, they yeah. start to sound like Presley uses, I, I must say, actually a lot. And <laughs> I do say literally a lot. And I <laughs> there are there are words that like when she says them, I'm like, oh, that's so funny. <laughs> I must say that a lot. <laughs> it, and it's usually in the same intonation that I would say right, it. So, it's, right. you know, the verbal environment that she's in and she, yeah. you know, goes to school with that verbal environment in mind and then takes that to school and I think it's important to note that students arrive at school with differences in, as they note in the book, both the breadth and the depth of their vocabulary knowledge. Mm-hmm. And what I thought was really important and a, a key takeaway for me from this chapter was that native language support in the home should be prioritized and encouraged as our English learners engage in conversations like using the code switching and cultural they say capital. I don't know how else mm-hmm. to say it any better, but um, like it's their native language should be prioritized at, in vocabulary development. And I think that to me, that makes a lot of sense. I'm not going to ask a child to say something in a language that they're unfamiliar with before they can say it in their native language. That was my key takeaway. Do you think that that's like the right kind of way yeah. to interpret that? I could, I could see I don't know, maybe a parent or maybe a teacher who was like, oh, well, if, if your real goal is to get them to learn English, why not just prioritize and focus on the English vocabulary, right? That's what we're mm-hmm. trying to build here. So I think it is, like you said, it, it's an, it's a really good point to really to focus in on building their vocabulary in their home language. So they have something then to like, like, oh, yeah, I hear my mom talk about this thing. I know what that is in Spanish. So now when you tell me what this is in English, all I have to do is connect that it's this other word that I already know, you know? Um, For sure. So I think I think that can get lost easily, though, you know, with if people are so focused on the goal of learning English that they might lose that, like, don't forget to build the vocabulary in their home language. Yeah. And I, I mean, I know we didn't do this exactly in the way that we're saying, because it wasn't another language, but we just did this moments ago when you said, do you know what a lorry is? It's something that, (laughs) because I knew what a truck was, I could connect that. But if I didn't know what a truck was, that would really mean nothing to me. (laughs) And I, I, again, I know it's not another language, but it's a very basic (laughs) example of another, you know, place having a different word for something that, (laughs) that, that we can attach with the schema that we know, which is truck. But if I, again, if I didn't know what a truck was, I'd be really lost right now. (laughs) Right, exactly. You'd be like, this is still an abstract thing. I'm going to forget it in five minutes. You probably will now, especially because it's called a lorry, you'll probably remember (laughs) it. (laughs) Next time you hear that, if you're like in England and someone says lorry, you'll be like, oh yeah, I remember. Of course. I'm going to go to England now and see if, yeah, see if uh, Elliot wants to join me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I think there are, you know, when we're teaching vocabulary to English learners, there are three principles that we want to remember. And the first is, again, I think we just did this, build vocabulary knowledge by combining new information with what the learner already knows to produce higher cognitive learning. So essentially connect to the schema, connect to what they already know so that we can then build on that. And that is the, that to me, I think of that like the foundation. Yeah. Yep. And I, I mean, and that makes perfect sense, right? Is you don't want to go in and as if like they have never heard of what a truck is and just say like, 
<laughs> here's a lorry, here's the definition, memorize it, right? Like you want to get them to connect it to something. And that's why one of the suggestions um, isn't, it's not just about using visuals, but they do use visuals to depict the characteristics of some of the vocabulary words. Their words are twig, branch, and woods. So to show the difference between those words. So visuals can be very helpful so that, you know, they can connect it to something maybe they've seen if they have, if they don't necessarily have a, a word for it. Right. And in that specific example, that kind of preview activity, like you just mentioned, right? Like previewing those, those related words related to what they're about to read mm-hmm. is that takes place before they read and discuss a a book called Owl Babies, which is a text about an owl family who lives on a tree branch in the woods. So you can see how that's related. It's it's connected. And it, what I also like take a small note in my brain is, all right, that doesn't take like the whole time either. It's still like right. best practices for ELA. <laughs> you know, we're not taking the whole time to learn these words. We're, we're still getting to read the text and talking about the text. We're just previewing some vocabulary that's going to be helpful in a way that is strategic for all learners, but especially our English learners. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You so what's the next number two? Example? Yeah. All right. Number two is integrate multiple opportunities for using new vocabulary to make connections to concepts and lived experiences. So we Love kind of that. mentioned this before too, right? Of like this vocabulary instruction should not be limited to, I, I, I don't know why I keep coming to this book in my head that I had in high school that was my vocabulary book. And that's what I keep thinking of was like, it was a totally separate, like we had vocabulary time, we took a vocabulary test, we did our vocabulary homework all in this book. And it really shouldn't be that way, right? This should be uh. part of instruction in all content areas. And we should be, you know, using these words as students are discussing, using as a teacher using those words as as you're talking to the students they should be using those words in their writing they should be seeing them over time so it's not just a one day you see the words twig branch and woods right but they should see words like that related words for a while so that they can make connections you know it should be ongoing and connected absolutely that your example of the vocabulary reminds me of the one thing or one thing that drives me crazy, not the one thing that drives me crazy, <laughs> which is um, when we talk about spelling and we mm-hmm. have like spelling lists or assessments that are disconnected from what's happening. It's like, well, here's this list of words. And, I, you know, I don't know that that happens as frequently as maybe it did in the 80s and <laughs> early 90s when I was in school. I, I hope not. not. Um, but your vocabulary book reminded me of that, that really the key word here for me, you know, like you just shared is integrated, integrate those opportunities for using it. And if we are going to have, you know, vocabulary experiences, spelling experiences, whatever they might be, there needs to be an application so that it's useful and it's not like a one and done. And that's, that's what I think is really important here is that we're, um, it's very cyclical in this example that they give the instructional application. We start here and then we come all the way back full circle to make connections to um, having lots of opportunities within the purpose for using these words. Absolutely. And this is reminding me, I know we talk about this with Elsa a lot when we podcast with her. So you'll hear yeah. it from her, but 
that this should not just be happening in your English language arts block or your literacy block, whatever you call it, right? This, your science and social studies and math and uh, whatever other content areas you might have are just rich with vocabulary. So these activities that you're talking about should be happening in all of those content areas. For sure. And we love that. (laughs) Big content rich fans. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Yes. All right. So I'm going to share the third principle uh, for teaching vocabulary to English learners, which is integrate intentional opportunities for language interaction around new vocabulary during content learning. And when we think about what that could look like, the instructional application example that is given is during a science lesson on you know, say the seasons, um, the class participates in an activity and the teacher shows two visuals that depict the four seasons. The teacher asks what's the same or different about the two visuals. And the class takes some time to what I consider like notice and wonder about them, right? They describe the visuals. Um, and then the teacher actually expands on what the class says by providing more information and introducing vocabulary in that moment. And that, again, is an integrated opportunity for adult-child interaction and for the adult to model and introduce strategically um, that vocabulary around that content learning. So again, the content is the focus and the vocabulary is supportive of understanding the content. And you know what I love about all of these when you read the whole chapter, like everything is very strategic, like choosing the right words to have these discussions about. But when they're actually like the description of the discussions they're having feel like they would be natural conversations, like like the same conversations I'm having with Elliot about what a Lori is. Right. It's like we're just having that natural like conversation about what that word means and like being curious and and getting kids to be curious about what the words mean and and letting it be you know again not a separate vocabulary time but like part of it and part of the the whole discussion and I don't I don't have another word besides natural it just like feels like it would be like a really how about organic a really organic Organic. conversation (laughs) I was gonna say authentic we could keep going there with synonyms (laughs) that is so funny one thing I think that I'm thinking about is any educator listening who might be feeling pressure because I sometimes am like a perfectionist and I feel the pressure of oh my gosh, what if I don't know what, what word to choose? What if I choose the wrong word? What, you know, all these what ifs. And I think my advice after reading this chapter would be choose a word and try it. Choose a few words and try it and see what happens. I think that by trying it, our students will lead us and help us in knowing what words to choose next time. And the benefit is they'll know some more words. (laughs) There's no, there's really no like negative from this. Like, (laughs) you know, they'll know some more content words connected to what you're doing. They'll be able to have experiences in talking to the teacher, to other students and practice, and then they'll practice writing and they'll practice seeing them in text and reading. So it can only be beneficial. And I would just say like, don't be afraid to try. And just, just try it, just do it. Yeah. And I think what you said about like letting the student, like if students ask about a word, 
Like, yeah, I'll bet all bets are off. Who cares what I planned? Like, let's talk about that word. Right. Like Perfect. if you're if you're curious about what that word means, let's let's have that conversation. But I, I also have um, I can share this with you, Lori, um, a resource from Student Achievement Partners um, or Achieve the Core. It's called Academic Word Finder. And I find mm-hmm. um, I love you know, that one. I love that one when I'm planning and I just have like so many words and I'm like, well, oh my gosh, like, where do I even start with this? I like to put it in there because it feels like it gives me a good starting point of like grade level. Like it tells you about what grade level they should know those words. So you're like, okay, yeah. you know, you, and, and it's not, you don't have to like, it's not an exact science. So it's not like, well, I'm teaching third grade. This says second. So that's off limits. No, it's just like, okay, well, they should know it in second grade, but they might not. So like, we'll sp- probably still talk about it. Or it's like, oh, that's an eighth grade word. So like, ooh, maybe we just don't need to <laughs> stress about it right now. Um, sure. Can you before we move on? Okay, two you things. Tell First, me, what do you do? Can you explain what it is? And second, yeah. I think we've shared this in a previous newsletter, but we will definitely share it. I'm making a note in our newsletter. Yeah. So it's, it, when you go to it, it's just like a place for you to paste the text in. So if you, if you have something where you can just like copy and paste it, you can copy and paste the whole text if you want. Um, I oftentimes just like have my list of like, okay, I have a list of 20 words. That's too many. Let me put that list into here. And then you select a grade level. And then when you select the grade level with your list of words, it will take you, it will show you which one, like which of those words are these academic words, right? So back to our first point of like, these should be the like content specific domain words, right? It will take off the words that are not really like that. So they're not, right. to me, it's like, well, then we don't need to worry about them quite as much. Um, and then it will also tell you the approximate like grade level. Oftentimes, though, it will say like, second through fourth grade, right? Like it's often a range. It's not, again, not an exact science, but it gives you kind of an idea. For me, it's more of a, you know, it's like, oh, this is, this is a really tough word. I might just need to tell them what it means and keep it moving <laughs> versus yeah. like spending a lot of time trying to talk about what it really means. Sure. Can you say the name of it again? Just for, I, I'm just picturing educators listening, being like, I need to write it <laughs> down and go look right now. I cannot wait for your newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's called the academic word finder and it's from achieve the core. If you Google those things, achieve the core academic word finder, you'll find it, but we'll also link it. We will link it. I know we've linked it before, but we will link it again and make <laughs> it very accessible. Yeah. Perfect. It's super helpful. <sighs> yeah. Okay. So now we're in the nitty gritty of the, of teaching vocabulary to our English learners. And we know the principles for our instructional design, but what strategies can we think about when we teach vocabulary to our English learners? I know there's a little bit in here about shared book reading, um, mm-hmm. which is read alouds, <laughs> which yeah. sounds very familiar to every teacher. <laughs> Do you want to talk about those for a second? Because they give some, I think they just give like some bullet points that were really helpful for like to think about as you're, I think most teachers, especially in the elementary level do read alouds, but some good like think abouts if, if you're, if you want to build vocabulary, especially for English learners. I agree. Okay. So um, shared book reading they say it's a well-known practice referred to as read-alouds and storybook reading. I've never heard of it as storybook reading, but I've heard of it as read-alouds. So that feels familiar to me. <laughs> um, and they share some important points about it, which is um, shared book reading content. So again, read-aloud content is 
organized by content-related themes or topics. They they actually call it topic immersion. I, and I, I love like that. that. I know you love that I know, too. I like that term a lot. <laughs> topic immersion. That's exactly what I've been thinking I with know. knowledge building. Like, I, I mean, that's it. what we do with knowledge building and building knowledge. Yeah. We should, we should use that term more. <laughs> we said, I'm going to put a star next to it. <laughs> it's on yeah. page 129. <laughs> so yeah, we talk about that all the time, but I also love that they talked about repeated readings of texts, right? So I think I hear that sometimes. I think we talked about it with maybe Julia Lindsay where, you know, sometimes I hear teachers say like, oh, well, the kids get bored if you, you know, read a text more than one time and and they're pulling different books every single day. But there is a lot <laughs> of um, there's a lot of research that says how these multiple exposures to the same texts really gets those new words and concepts really, you know, it's when it gets mapped into their brains. Yeah. And I, I feel like I would like to be bold and say if if we're pulling different texts every single day, then you're probably not pulling the right texts. Because if there's not enough to talk about or to dive into again, then they might not be worthy of reading aloud. Remember, we want books yeah. that students can't read on their own read aloud. We want them to have rich vocabulary, exposure to, you know, different kinds of syntax and structure. And and, you know, important, maybe important topics that we want to st- are worthy of study. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, our texts need to be rich and yeah. filled with knowledge. <laughs> so yeah. um, that, I think that that's an important consideration. Mm-hmm. And just they give a um, an example of a five day shared book reading scope and sequence. We won't love that. We don't need to talk about it. But just to give an idea, you know, they, they say for five days reading the same book with a different focus each day, but yeah, that's their mm-hmm. recommendation. Yeah. I love it too. Um, another, another really important uh, note here is the opportunities to use language to discuss really content related concepts. So mm-hmm. science concepts, social studies concepts, um, and just really using that language for discussion. I like to think of that as an oral rehearsal or preparation for writing. Mm -hmm. And um, that is so powerful, especially for our English learners to be saying it, talking about it multiple times, lots of interactions, especially prior to writing. Absolutely. Yeah. So again, we just said all of that and I'm thinking like, those are all great for all learners, (laughs) not just English learners. I'm thinking I did all of these in my fifth grade classroom every day. Yeah. <laughs> we did a lot of talking about text, a lot of rereading, a lot of close reading, yeah. a lot of topic building. The one that is usually related more to English learners is the strategic use of non-linguistic visual supports. Um, mm-hmm. But I get like, you know, it's good for all learners too. That is not, not unhelpful. Yeah. 100%. Um, there's just so much we could continue to talk about, but we are going to have to press pause because (laughs) I mean, there's, we could go all day talking about this. I think we um, said we were just giving them a taste. So this is just, I think we did. I think we did that. Mm -hmm. Just a taste. Yeah. I mean, and there are, so I also want to say there's some really important um, and helpful visuals in the book that we are not able to illuminate on this podcast. So, you know, if you do have the book Beach and you are listening to this podcast, check out chapter seven, um, you know, the visuals, the tables, the f- all of the different figures happening and this, especially this 
study questions at the end. They're really helpful to be a reflective thinker and studier of how to best support English learners with vocabulary instruction. Yeah. And there's not even just study questions, but then there's extended reading and application activities, which are really cool. Love it. I mean, pages and pages and pages of references. So if you want to learn more, there's plenty of opportunities to learn more. We could really geek out here in vocabulary for quite some time, but we'll have to bring it together, bring it to a close. (laughs) And also we, um, I don't even think we said that, did we say that we podcasted with the the author, Elsa Cardenas Hagen? Did we say that? (laughs) We did not say that, but we did podcast with Elsa and Elsa's podcast will be out right after this. (laughs) Yes. So you'll hear from her and her take on everything um, that's in this book and how did we forget that? Because it wasn't in our notes, Melissa. I didn't write it down. <laughs> That's why. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> oh, well, I'm so glad we got to talk about this small bit of this fantastic book that is really an incredible resource for educators, especially those who are supporting our English learners. So thanks for having Absolutely. the conversation with me. Yeah, thank you. All right. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Thanks for listening, Literacy Lovers. We release a new podcast episode every Friday and share more resources in a newsletter on Tuesday. Sign up for our newsletter at literacypodcast.com. Each week, you'll receive important information, resources, and connected content. We're excited to create a space for community discussion about our podcast. We want to connect with our listeners and support you in answering your questions. But we also realize there are a lot of other educators out there who have great advice and experience, too. Let's keep learning together in our Melissa and Lori Love Literacy podcast Facebook group. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. If the content in this episode helped you, share with a fellow educator and teacher friend. Our Literacy Lover community welcomes educators at every stage of their learning journey. We're so glad you're here to learn with us. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of the Melissa and Lori Love Literacy Podcast in this episode are not necessarily the opinions of Grey Minds PBC or its employees.